Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 72 for Monday, July 11th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you, Mr. Kent? I'm doing great, man. I feel like we should tell people that this show actually wasn't recorded to the day that we're releasing it. Uh, we both have some travel, so we're actually recording this uh, a couple of weeks ago, right after the day after we interviewed Robert Berry on, on show 71. And then we're going to take a week off for Fourth of July holiday here in the States, and then in, in the meantime, you're off on a great adventure. Yeah, a little bit of a European vacation with the family. So we're we going to England. We are. We're going to uh, London, Paris, and Barcelona. And I'm trying to think of where I'll be when this show's released. I think I'll be in Barcelona when this show's released. So, wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good. Have a safe trip. Thanks. And uh, enjoy. What a great uh, memory you're building for your family there. Yeah, it's kind of the right time to do it before everybody, you know, before things kind of, before the dynamic changes again. So. Uh-huh. Yep. Smart. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Have you played any good gigs recently? Yeah, we played, uh, Fling played a, an electric gig at uh, at a club called the Lilac City Grill in Rochester, New Hampshire, a little bit north of me here. And uh, man, it, you know, uh, it had been a while since we had done a gig where we were doing our own sound. And man, what a pleasure it is. <laughs> God, you know. To control I, your destiny? Yeah, well, yeah, it just always works out. Um, you know, we've, it, it's, it's different when you have your own sound person as part of the band. I consider that doing your own sound, right? Sure. You know, like you guys do. Um, and I've, I've experienced that in the past too, but, but, um, working with house sound guys, you know, I mentioned in the, um, I don't know, a couple episodes ago that, you know, I've worked with at, at that stone church club, I've worked with the same guy several times and sometimes it's outstanding sound on stage. And sometimes it's just, just non-existent. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, when you, when you're not working with the same band regularly, when you, when, you know, when three months elapses between shows, I get, you know, even with digital boards and all that, I guess you're not saving everything. And, um, and things just change, you know, even yeah. at, at this club, I mean, we had played there before and it was a little tricky to get the sound right the first time. But again, you know, we knew what the trick was and we, um, that was the club where we lowered the speakers and everything sort of came right into, in, into focus for us. But I saved all our EQ settings because that's what we do. And I recalled them all. And as I started tuning the monitors, I noticed all of our, um, all of our feedback points were about uh, 400 hertz high. They were they were all 400 hertz lower than where they were before, at least on the high end, which was just interesting. It's like, okay, why is that? But that's mic placement and speaker placement isn't exactly the same. It's close and you just deal with it. But man, it was, we finished the first song and I turned to the guys. I'm like, it is such a pleasure to hear you while we play music together. That's cool. Yeah, yes. yeah. We um, the last gig. two gigs, interestingly enough. So Bill is known and trusted now amongst the other sound guys. Mm. And the last two gigs we've done, two or three gigs, he'll actually bring our board, even if sound is provided. Sure, of course. He'll bring our board and say, "Hey, how about if I just do this?" And 
you know, they're usually really cool. Especially if they know him, they're totally cool. Sure. And, sure. Um, you know, they, the, the hired sound companies get paid the same. We get a certain amount of, of, uh, of, uh, consistency in our life. And, and so it works out pretty well, but I will tell you, I did have another data point for this never ending quest to figure out the whole freaking in-ears thing. Okay. Mike bleed is a bummer. So, so again, you, you know, we, you have this concept that everything's isolated and you're, you have unique finite control. So I decided I'm going to, I'm going to try, even though I'm fronting the band, I'm going to leave my phone on top of my amp and I'll be able to mix myself. Sure. You know, Right. Yep. Um, oh, no, it's, the only, the, it's the only way. Right. Unless you have way. someone dead. We talked about this. That's right. Yep. Right. So um, I'm going to mix myself. So we're going through sound check. And here's one thing. My keyboard player likes his monitor loud, 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 loud. Hmm. And okay. he has both a vocal monitor and he brings his own um, monitors for his keyboard. Rig. Oh, so he's got on stage his own on stage keyboard amp, just like you have your own on stage guitar amp. Yeah. Okay. So I'm noticing that his vocal mic is picking up these very loud um, keyboard monitor mic- uh, speakers. Yeah, of course. Of, be- so of course it is. Right. I have absolutely, if I want to hear him sing, I have to have it on uh, and I cannot get, I cannot get the keyboards into my mix in a satisfactory way. It's just, of the it's beat. too much if you want to blend harmonies with him. Yeah. I just can't. And also I kind of find like, you know, with four or five drum mics, and bleed from those types of things, it's hard to get a, you know, at least for a amateurish guy like me, it's hard for me to get the drums locked in. I'm wondering if I should just take an overhead and just take that mic. Uh, my advice to you is d- do that and maybe, maybe take some kick drum, yeah. but maybe otherwise. Yeah, that that's all, you know, I, um, even as the drummer, all I want is overhead in my, uh, in my ears, I, I always tell whenever I'm working with a, you know, a, a, a front of house engineer, though, I always tell them, and this is whether I'm using a wedge or in ears. Uh, if I start playing too loud, just turn my snare drum up in the monitors and that, you know, it, I might not even notice it, but I'll back off. You know, it's just yeah. self-preservation. But yeah, yeah, no, for for like what I want to hear, it's it's just overhead. And, and again, sometimes some kick drum. It depends on the stage and, and all of that. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if actually one of the solutions might be less. Well, it's it, maybe what it is is more of more of everything in the mix because I'm basically trying to I'm down to like like one click on many of the microphones. Maybe I should let all the microphones come up and have master volume way farther down mm. and and maybe there's a little bit more. But again, I think the keyboard problem is just a problem. I think yeah, well, why can't he move his monitor so that it's not aiming at his vocal mic? Well, it's just there's small stages, right? Yeah, I know. But still, you can, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would think your front of house guy would want to deal with that, too. Yep. I, I, you know, <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, you know, I, and I realize that, you know, it's not the it's, you know, it's like it's telling the drummer, hey, uh, Look, that snare drum, it sounds great, but, you know, having it right between your legs there really screws up the, your <laughs> vocal mic. If you could put it, like, two feet in front of that, that would be much better because then it would be on the <laughs> off axis of the mic. You know, that's just like, well, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, but this is where it goes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, so we've had um, a couple good weeks of gigs. We played a big street festival. I think we talked about that a couple episodes again. We played yeah. at the beach um, last Thursday. Mm. Beautiful sunny night playing right on the sand, um, huge party, three, 4,000 people. And, um, and that was, we played, we played very well and that was a fun one. And then, um, 
Yeah. So, so, oh, and then we played a big barbecue competition out, uh, and it was nice because we got to do an eight to 10 PM outside. Oh, that's perfect. So the sun goes down a little bit and it was a beautiful warm night. It's been really hot here Yeah, and, um, huge array sound system. And it was really fun. I mean, it's, you know, ideal conditions, great sound system, huge stage, the band, the band that played before us is the one I told you about. That is the really great local Doobie brothers tribute band that's around oh. here and they just rip it up. Um, but the interesting thing again about that is, and, and, you know, we probably should do a, we probably should do a tribute band discussion because like our tribute band still a thing where you are. Um, yeah, yeah, very much so. Big? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, there's some of them. It's not like that, you know, it's not all the time, but, but uh, I'm certainly aware of some that are really, you know, well, we talked to Dave Bruniak. We should probably have yeah. him back on, but you know, from pink talking fish, that's a, that's a, I mean, it's a creative formation of a, a tribute band, but by most yeah. definitely a tribute band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll let this waft out there for now. Um, but my, I think tribute bands are a little bit on the wane now. They mm. were really hot a couple of years ago. In fact, some of the concert series, you know, the civic concert series, outdoor things around here, they booked whole seasons where it was a different tribute band every week. Um, but I get the sense now uh, that there's a lot of them. And like we just got approached uh, for the Las Gatas one by one that's a Boston tribute band. Yep. And I'm, but I'm thinking to myself, is there two hours of Boston music that the general public would want to hear? Yeah, I think so. And and I think the two hours. Yeah, sure. If you're not, not a Boston fan, yeah, you'll enjoy it. It's fine. <laughs> I I think I, I I think more important than you know the the amount of time that somebody's playing is the material. If you're like a Doobie Brothers tribute band is tough right now because they're actually on the road. You can go see the Doobie Brothers with Journey and uh, and who else is playing? It's a there's a three three way bill. Steve Miller, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Steve Miller's doing some dates and uh, whatever. But you know, the point is that they're out there on the road. Oh, Dave Mason's opening, I think, is is uh, doing some of the dates. But um, when you've got a band, uh, you know, like Boston, I mean, they play, but you know, you're not you're whether you go see Boston. Uh, music played by the band that calls themselves Boston still, or you go see Boston music played by a tribute band. You're not actually seeing Boston, right? You know, Brad mm-hmm. Delp's not there. That's a, mm-hmm. it's a different thing. And so I think tribute bands that have an angle that have something unique about them, or at least something uh, like a Beatle tribute band. I mean, they, of course that's not unique. There's lots of them, but the Beatles are not playing. Right. So you're 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 going This is your chance to hear that music live in, in a way that pays tribute to what was done. And, and, you know, I think Pink Talking Fish does a cool thing because uh, you can't see the talking heads. Pink Floyd isn't ever going to be what Pink Floyd was. Uh, at least I don't think that, the, you know, those two guys will ever play together again. Right. Uh, fish, you can see they're on the road. But PTF's doing a bunch of fish after parties where they're, you know, kind of mixing things up. But again, they bring something unique. Uh, you know, somebody doing like Rush music these days, that's in demand because Rush isn't on the road and might never go on the road. We don't know. You know, I, I think there's a wide open opportunity for Prince tribute acts. It's, again, as long as you've got people that can deliver these songs the right way. But th- yeah. th- that's true of any of these tribute acts. You, you've got to you can't just hack it up. Um, well, the three most popular around here, there's there's a, a Michael Jackson. Yeah, right. That's, it's like a 16 piece you know, band and, and they charge a lot of money. They deliver the goods. Great show. There is a Prince one. And actually one of the past musical directors from Prince just joined this local 
Prince Tribute Act. And I think they have higher aspirations now that you're not going to be able to see Prince live um, of doing something greater with their with their uh, with their act. Right. So that's that's doing real well. Then there's like um, um, there's a U2 tribute band around here. Sure. There's a there's an all female ACDC called ACDC. I like that. That actually has a really big headlining show at uh, San Jose Music in the Park coming up. There are interesting twists to it, but I, you know, again, my, I, I'm a little different than you. Even my buddies who are in this um, Doobie Brothers one, and they play great. They just opened for us, and some guys in my band said, "I didn't, I didn't know a third of those songs." Right? Right. Not that they didn't like it or they didn't enjoy it, but it's um, especially at a lot of these places where familiarity pays dividends for you. Yeah. That's that's where it kind of runs. That's why I'm saying I I can't I like Boston Fine. I can't, you know, the whole first album, a couple songs on the second album, and then it really thins out after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You I mean, but that's true when you go see Boston, too. I mean, no, but you go see Boston because you want to hear any you you, you are. Well, that's what I'm saying. These bands that are that are kind of doing these gigs. It's a little bit more of a passive experience. The people are coming to these weekly concert series. Right. Right. These festivals they are not. You know, the ones that will win big there are the ones who can sell familiarity. Right. You could be good, but you're but probably going to lose some portion of the audience. Yeah, I think you've got to have something that, you know, like I, like the ACDC thing, right? That reminds me of a band that that's, lives on the East Coast here called Les Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, it's an all-female Zeppelin band. Uh, yeah. And they're fantastic. You know, but, but again, it's this – there's a little bit of shtick, right? It's just baked into the product, and and that's – that's what makes it unique. And, you know, we've talked about this, right? You know, if and the same thing's true if you're playing in like a cover band, just a normal yeah. cover band, where you have to bring, you have to make yourself unique in a crowd of people that, uh, you know, that are playing the same songs. And with, you know, with with you guys, you're doing it with the horns and, and all of that and really polishing it up. With Fling, we do it by adding our originals in. And that's actually really working for us because people are getting into that. Um, but you know, you've got to, you've got to provide something that people can't get when they go see another band that might play these same songs. Well, that's really true. So actually you're giving me a perfect entree. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, you shtick is, I think a little bit, uh, a negative connotation, right? Yeah. I don't mean it in a negative way, but it, it but it, can, it certainly, yeah, it might not be the best word for me to use. Right. So I saw a band last week that, um, they were kind of a top, what you would call a top 40 band now. A lot of Beyonce, you know, Bruno Mars and, you know, these types of things. And when I saw the video of them before, um, I was prepared to be indifferent to them. Um, they choreographed their dress. Uh, they choreographed their uh, every move on stage. Everything is really planned out mm. to, a, to a great, great degree. Sure. And I always be like, it's, you know, it's going to feel forced. And then I went and saw them and there's a few thoughts about it. So it, it's a, like, it's a top 40 band. They got three horns. They have three singers, bass, drums, keyboards, uh, and guitar. Um, so decent sized band. So if you can picture this, it's 90 degrees at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Everyone in that band comes out dressed to the nines, shirt, vest, and tie 90 degrees. Um, the singers, the, you know, there's two girls uh, and one guy, two um, blonde, younger girls, and then an African-American guy who's the center uh, singer. Very, very good. Um, and 
like I said, I was prepared to be like, man, this is going to be a little bit contrived, but it is a truth to what they are. I, you know, the, the trombone player is the leader of the band. Yep. He clearly chose band members who bought into his system and they sell it. And like I said, every note, every song is transitioned. Every, everything is thought through. Yeah. And it really got me thinking a lot about things. Um, it got me thinking a lot about, you know, that amount of detail is really professionalism. I mean, you don't have to do exactly what they do. No, but, but they're, they are putting in, they are being thoughtful and intentional about it. And then they are, they are rehearsing and perfecting the plan. That's right. Yes. You know, they, they have put the time in and here's the result. I mean, there were people from 200 miles away who came to see them at the show last week, a cover band. And, um, and they drew an audience. They have a passionate audience. The dance floor was full from note one until the encore was done. Uh, the band delivered the goods every single song. They have my utmost respect. And it just really made me start thinking about, you know, you know, my levels of professionalism. And I think, you know, about my, the bands that I've been in and about the issues of, of, um, of buy-in from, from your band members. And the, the, I think the interesting thing I want to ask you about here is um, – the concept of comfort zone, right? Well, that's you – know, yeah. Go ahead. yeah. No, that, that – it, it, well, Robert Berry, when he was talking about playing in Hush and, and building that band and they – you know, when they went to that showcase thing, right? Yes. They, they didn't just do the three songs. Oh, we can pick our best three songs and now yeah, let's go just go play. You know, you get into that – I don't want to say apathetic mode, but it's a little bit lackadaisical, the comfort zone. And, mm-hmm. and instead of that, they – like did something that they probably wouldn't ever do in their show, although maybe they then incorporated it, but they did something that for the, at the time was new for them, where they took eight songs, they stitched them together, compressed it down into 10 minutes, worked on the, the, you know, the transitions and the hooks and delivered this product. But that takes, um, that's, there's a risk in that, right? Cause it's different from what everyone else is doing that day. Now, you know, he, in, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but at the time he felt like he knew it would pay off. Of course it did. Yeah. Um, but well, he was doing something. The point he was making was everybody else was going left. We decided to go right. Uh, yeah, we're just going to do this. But that's a risky thing. And and, you know, it, and it takes not only um, the the uh, the willingness to take that risk, but it also takes the, the musicianship to do that. Right. And and there's two pieces of that. And you're putting yourself on the line with both of those. Right. Not only did we make here we are, we made this crazy decision and we're going to show it to you, but also we're going to deliver it the way that it should be delivered. And that's going to be a little bit more technical than, than just maybe playing a song all the way through. And if we, if the idea is great and the execution sucks, well, guess what? It sucks. You know, we instead we could have played three songs that we were just sort of comfortable with and we didn't have to worry about these little, you know, little shifts and, and switches. High so, risk, high reward. High reward. But that's that's how it goes. And, that's and life. Yeah. And that comfort zone thing, um, you know, when uh, again, you know, I, I get, we're doing this the day after we interviewed Robert. So anytime we interview somebody, it's always I feel like we always got to do like a debrief on it. And so there's, <laughs> there's some of that here. Well, but he has so much to say, you know, and we didn't want to. What stuck with me was when he talked about we were one of the first bands. To make sure we not only do we have great gear, but we had a light show and yeah. you know, we had all that type of stuff. They thought through all of sweated it. the details yeah. 
of, of an experience of seeing their group. And that's, you know, very similar to what I'd experienced yesterday. I would say this, the thing about comfort zone, um, uh, high risk, high reward. There are great rewards outside of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone has gotten you about what you have now, right? Yeah. You are living in that box and that box is going to get you X amount of people coming to your show, X amount of X amount of uh, improvement on your chops. X, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to slice that to slice that problem. Um, and I did actually have this conversation because with guys in my band, because you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, how do we how do we surprise people and delight people when they come to see us? You know, how can we do something different? And we're throwing around a couple ideas, and some of the ideas, I, you know, I, and I was like, all ideas are good ideas. And some of the ideas, you know, I was like, hey, how about if we, uh, how about if we do this? How about if we goof on this guy, you know, while he's soloing? And one of the guys who's kind of a purist musician in the band was like, well, I would never do that. You know, he's trying to express himself with a solo. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you know, entertainment business. (laughs) Yeah, it's the entertainment. That's it. And, And that's another thing, you know, that argument, what does anything else matter if I play well? Uh, there's, I would say if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. and you're playing popular music and if that's your position, I would say you are probably squarely in the wrong business. I what? mean, I, it is the entertainment business first. It is as much a visual medium as it is an, as an oral, AU, oral yeah, medium. That's right. And uh, But actually the point to all this is as a performer, we'll all accept that we're all performers if you're listening to this, as a performer – Great rewards lie on the other side of your comfort zone. Yeah. You don't want to put yourself into the, you know, I always, I always think of three circles, right? You know, in the center of the circle is your comfort zone. You don't want to be there. The outer ring of the circle is like panic mode, right? Where you, you, you bit off more than you can chew and, and it's negatively impacting you. Definitely don't want to be there, but there is a middle ground and you got to find where that middle ground is and also find musicians to play with that are comfortable in that same middle ground. Because if one, you know, it's the weak link of the chain thing, right? If, if one person is firmly rooted in that comfort zone in the center, guess where your band is going to be. That's so true. You know, you're, and and that's true of anything in life. Right. But, but certainly with, with music, it, you have to have everybody on the same page. And so there is this lowest common denominator sort of thing that, that can happen. Now it doesn't mean that everybody in the band needs to be of the same skill level. It just means that everybody needs to be willing to push themselves the same amount. Right. And if you've got, you're always going to have some people that are better musicians than others. You're going to have some people that are better singers than others. Right. I mean, it's just, it's impossible to have everybody. Yeah. Better performers. And that's fine. You know, you can, I've, I've learned by being one of the better ones in a band and I've learned by being one of the worst ones in the band. Right. There's, there's, there's opportunities for everybody, but as long as the band is comfortable uh, pushing out and it's funny to use the word comfortable, but you know, <laughs> willing to push outside of that comfort zone together. How about committed? Yeah, that's what, that's the right, that's the right, uh, word. Yeah. It, but it, cause it, because it makes a huge difference. And, and you said, you know, you could sit in your comfort zone and play your same songs and you've got a crowd. And I would say for a while, but mm. that you are going to get bored in that comfort zone and therefore unless you're just a monster performer. And if you are, you're probably not going to be comfortable in the comfort zone anyway, but uh, you know, you're, you're, you are going to become boring 
If you're just out, oh, you know what? We don't need to learn new songs. We know we're, we're good at these. We can just show up at the gig and play and it's fun. And it's, you know, like bowling night, fun out with the guys. That's great. Most people don't go and watch other people bowl. You, you, you know what I mean? It's it's like if this is your bowling night, probably not a good plan for attracting an audience. Maybe, but maybe the you know the banter that you have amongst your bowling team is really funny, and people want to see that. So hey, if you're having fun, maybe it works. But you got it. But that's then that's a whole different thing, right? Now you're you're turn you're you're turning the switch on. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, it is. You know, I just want to encourage. You know, we're always trying to like make this practical advice if we're trying to give advice, but you know, there's, there's a range. There's the guys who stare at their shoes and there's the guys who, you know, bounce all over the stage. You know, you have to find the thing that works for you and works for your band. Um, you know, th- there are three things. There's chops, there's dress and there's show. Yeah. Hold up your end in your band in those three things. All three. Greater. To the yeah. greatest degree possible. Yeah, to the greatest degree that you can. And and accept that there will be things where you are the leader and things where you are the you know, the follower for lack of a better term. And that's that's how it works. That's team, right? Anyway, so kudos to Entourage the band who I just caught for the first time. They just people loved him. They delivered the goods in terms of entertaining. I was energized, so you know, get a jaded musician, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. they really kind of moved me. They were great players, they were great entertainers. Um you know, if your if your goal is to touch and move people, um, find those bands, even even your peer bands uh, that are doing it right, and learn something from them, and and uh, and find some motivation, and then put it to work. That's the key. That's I mean, the key. Don't, don't yeah. just sit on it. You know, find. You don't got to do exactly what someone else does, but but notice. Yeah, find find your stick. I mean, you know, at our fling gig the other night, we uh, I felt I I just felt like we were going to come into this gig and and play well and, and be happy to play together. So as I was putting together the set list the night before, uh, I really started thinking about what can we do that's different? And I pulled out some songs that we hadn't played together in a while. I had noted it started because I saw that um, earlier in the week, Fish opened their tour. And of course, I watch along with their set lists and I saw that they had played Dear Prudence. They also played a killer version of I Am the Walrus the next night um, that's worth finding on YouTube. It's very energetic encore. But um, but they played Dear Prudence. I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, we played that like twice in Fling, I don't know, six years ago or something. And uh, and then the next night I saw somebody talking about the Grateful Dead played or uh, Dead and Company rather played and they played Dear Prudence. I'm like, oh, this is weird. You know, I keep hearing about this song. All right. I'm putting it on the list. And we segued it into Scarlet Begonias. Uh, but we had never done that before. And, and really, Dear Prudence, I mean, we haven't rehearsed it, but I, it's relatively straightforward. And we, we've always played it well. The harmonies always really work for us. And so it was a nice little moment for us. And it did work for the I mean, it actually worked really well. And, uh, but it, you know, it was a moment where we could be excited about this thing that we were doing and, and that translates to the crowd. And we did that with a couple other tunes and most of them worked well. Uh, a couple, we had a couple of flubs, but you know, whatever it happens. And, uh, but we were having fun and, and in interjecting those things into the right spots in the set kept our interest level higher than normal. And that translates to the crowd. You know, when the band is engaged, it, you know, it's like this automatic thing and it, it works. You, you know, I saw, um, I saw Jackson Brown a couple of weeks ago. Did we talk about this on the show? I don't think we did. You told me you were going, but you never told me how you enjoyed it. Okay. So we saw, it was fantastic. Uh, we saw him at uh, this place called the Hampton Casino Ballroom, which is in Hampton, New Hampshire, right from here. And it's, it's, I mean, this place has been there for a hundred years, literally, uh, you know, Louis Armstrong played there. The Doors played there, uh, 
everybody's played there. Right. And it's a weird place. It's, it's a single level hall, if you will, rectangular in shape, but instead of the stage being at one of the ends of the, the, the short ends of the rectangle, it's in the middle of one of the long ends and there's tables They're, They're like right in front of where the stage is, is normal. What you would think of as like concert seating. And then on the wings of the place are tables where people can sit. So it's a very weird layout for, for a room where you're going to have an event like this. Um, and the sound usually sucks, but the sound for him was great. So that was a, a pleasant surprise. And there's, there's a bar. It's, you know, it's a bar. So there's wait staff uh, serving people at the tables and even in the seats. And so Jackson Brown was commenting on that and he's like, well, this is interesting, you know, and uh, he's like, I, it's been a long time since I played a gig with, with waitresses. You know, he's like, this is kind of cool. The guy bought him, some guy in the front row bought him a drink and, and handed him the, the drink and uh, he drank it. Uh, and then uh, it, it, he played two sets. He had his band with him uh, on this tour, which is fantastic. And it, it, I don't know, three or four songs into the second set, he played somebody's baby. You know, and, and he had played maybe one of his hits in the first set, but you know, it, it was time to kind of move into that. And so there's a couple people that are sort of getting up and dancing, but not everybody kind of moving yet. And the same guy that bought him a drink in the front row turns around and just starts dancing like crazy in the aisle and like waving to everybody to get up. And that's all it took. Everybody in the place just stood up mm. and uh, the band, you know, the band obviously responded well to that. And then they proceeded to play a string of, I don't know, six or eight jackson brown hits and i just assumed well that's how the show goes you know he plays his new stuff and peppers in a couple of things that people might care about even if they don't know his his whole catalog and then at the end of the show he delivers you know and uh, and it was fantastic and he said at the end of the show he said you know every night we come out here and uh he's like i always sit backstage and i wonder what can we do to make this night different for us so that we're entertaining for you and he said, tonight, it wasn't about us. We didn't have to do anything to make it different. You made it different. And I went home and I looked at the set list and looked at the you know set list for the previous five or six nights. He only played like two of his hits on any of these prior nights. And on this night, they just called it as audibles, I assume, and just played the string of like six or eight of them because the crowd was so into it. And, uh, and you know, but it was interesting to hear him say, I sit backstage and think about what can I do differently tonight or what can I do to make this show different? And sometimes you get it handed to you like he did. You know, I think having, having wait staff, uh, keeping people well lubricated on a Wednesday night probably helped. Uh, but, but it's uh, Jackson Brown. He's got, you know, seven hours of great songs. He does. Oh no, 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 no. But, but you know, that's the thing is he's sitting back there thinking how, and his set lists are always a little bit different. He's got some patterns to them. Uh, you know, when I went back and looked, it was like, Oh, I see. This is how he typically starts the show. This is how he typically ends it. But you know, there's room for, for a lot of, uh, changes. And my guess is some of those changes are scripted, as, you know, as he said, and some just happen on the fly, which is great. He was taking requests and uh, and having a blast with it. But, you know, even at this point in his career, or perhaps especially at this point in his career, he's very aware that he has to always be performing, you know. Make it special. Make it special, even though it's the same band that just played last night in a different city and we had to sit on the bus. And, you know, there's all of that. Nobody in the room cares. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 So This is your job. 
Yeah. It's not, it's not just to play the right notes. There's, there's more that goes into it. There's more that goes into it. Yeah. You know, speaking of playing the right notes, um, I played different notes at my gig on Saturday night. Uh, I've been in the market for a new set of drums, Paul. Well, I noticed that you've been going out and, uh, and you've been hitting up Craigslist and seeing some people selling stuff there. Yeah. It's kind of been fun marketplace. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, with drums, it, um, Craigslist is great because there's so many people, there's so many people that for many reasons, just no longer can, can have a set of drums that they carry around with them in their lives. And sometimes those sets are in great shape. A lot of times they're not, you know, but, uh, but the process of, of looking has been fun. It really started because I wanted a set that was a little more compact or could be more compact than, than what I typically use. Um, so that I, I have something for these theater gigs and my, my Eamstrums, my Birchstrums are well, what I would call square in, in dimension. They are like the eight inch Tom is eight by eight. It's eight inches deep and eight inches wide it with Birch as the wood, which is a really kind of focused wood. Um, it makes that the extra depth really helps them cut through on a loud stage with, you know, with, uh, with guitars and all that stuff. But, uh, but I wanted some shorter drums and so, you know, it was just time and I started looking and, uh, was in no rush. I, it could have taken me a year. I think it took me about three months. And I, on Saturday morning I went and looked at this Mapex kit, uh, which is maple and walnut and man, it's just got such a warm sound and, uh, it was exactly what I was looking for. And it's in this crazy silver, it's, they call it granite sparkle. Uh, it's this silver spark. It's great. And it picks up the light, looks, looks good, plays really well. And uh, it was kind of crazy to, you know, buy the set at noon uh, from a guy and then play it at a gig that night. But um, he had decent heads on most of the drums. I should have changed the head on the floor, Tom. I knew it, but I set him up here and I'm like, no, you know what? This will make it through the gig. It'll be fine. And eh, about halfway through the gig, I'm like, yeah, I should have changed it. (laughs) But you know, it was, I mean, it was fine. It was, um, but it was fun playing different drums, perhaps partially responsible for some of the vocal flubs that, uh, that I was, that, that I committed on, on Saturday night, just getting confused. You know, drums are in different places. It's like playing your guitar and your E string is, well, it's a little bit further away from the A string than you used to. Yeah, no. So it takes you out of your comfort zone. It takes you, yeah, in a yeah. Bad way. It, yeah, in a, well, I, yeah, in a different way. It's not awful, but it is, yeah, it is that whole comfort zone thing. So I don't think I've ever told you this. And um, my favorite live drum sound is uh, Steve Peroni in, in, um, in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is it about that? And that snare has much more of a pop than a snap sound to it. It's a very tight and, you know, it's not a ringing sound. What do, what do you think about that sound and what do you think makes it what it is? I think he's using, he uses a brass snare drum, if I'm not mistaken. And, Wouldn't and that make it much brighter? You would think, but metal is often uh, kind of has more of a warmth than wood in a snare environment. Um, that I've found and, and really where that totally shines is with the, uh, the Ludwig black, black beauty. And there's lots of clones of it, which is essentially a nickel over brass, uh, uh, drum. So it's, you know, it's brass just like the Ferroni drum and then, and then a coating a nickel over it. And I think some of his drums actually have that. Uh, and I don't know why, but that mix really, it, that's like that classic rock and roll sound, um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, his, his drums. Well, yeah, I read an article with Bill Bruford, 
I mean, this was probably 30 years ago when I was, you know, growing up and reading modern drummer and somebody asked him, they said, gosh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, they re- recalled some recording that was even, you know, 20 years prior to that or something. And he was, they, they asked him, what kind of ride symbol did you play on that recording? It sounds amazing. And, you know, I want to know what kind of symbol it was. Cause I want that sound. And Bill said, you know, in his like polite, but cheeky English way, I think, I don't quite remember, but I think it was probably this symbol. Uh, but you know, it's not just about the symbol. It's about the hands that are holding the stick, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and Ferroni, That's everything. Ferroni, man, that guy, his hands, he's like Steve Gadd in, in a lot of ways, uh, as a drummer, his hands are like butter. He has the softest hands. Um, I mean, I'm not, ta- I've never shaken his hands. I don't, I'm not talking about like, you know, just his the, attack to the drums, the, his attack to the drums is it. Yeah. He's, it's very, it's not a light touch by any stretch, but it's, it's, um, it's all very smooth and fluid and, mm-hmm. and it makes a difference in the sound really makes a difference in the sound. So, um, so I think, Part of what you like about Steve Ferroni's drum sound is that it's Steve Ferroni playing a set of drums. Um, and then after that, the drums do matter. I mean, they, you know, quality drums tuned the right way for the right kind of music and mic'd the right way and all of that obviously make a difference. But it really does, just like on guitar. I mean, it's, you know, it's in your fingers, man. You can use all different kinds of strings and different oh, kinds of guitar. But, you know, guitar's a guitar. Yeah, it's, there's actually a really famous um, story where Brian Setzer got to play with Stevie Ray Vaughan one time in, mm. uh, I think in Nashville. And, uh, and, uh, Stevie Ray, he said, here, use my guitar. And he thought he was going to sound like, like Stevie Ray. And he goes, Nope. Sounded like, <laughs> sounded like me playing my jazz licks. Sounds like Brian Setzer. Uh, yeah. Sounds like Brian Setzer. Yeah. Yeah. And those are two guys with very, very distinct, very, very distinct styles. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. It is. It's in your hands. It's in your fingers. It's in your hands. Yeah. It's right. It's, and that's, it's, um, it's a, it's an important lesson to learn. It's a difficult lesson. The first time you learn it, you know, it certainly was for me. And, and I suppose that day when I read that art, that thing from Bruford, I don't know if I, if I had learned it yet, but it, it, um, it obviously stuck with me, but, uh, it's like, Oh yeah, guy's right. You know, mm-hmm. you gotta just, you gotta put in the time uh, and, and you gotta be intentional about putting in the time. It's that, you know, comfort zone thing. Play the sure. same thing over and over again. You'll get better at that same thing, sir. Sure. As long as you're focused on it. As my calculus teacher used to say in high school, perfect practice makes perfect. Yeah. 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 Not just practice makes perfect. So, perfect. <sighs> well, I got it all off my chest for today. What about you, Paul? I feel good. It was good. You know, we've done a couple of interviews lately, so yeah. kind of nice to get back to our roots and uh, just talk about our lives playing music. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I hear we've got some fun interviews coming up, but I won't uh, I won't spoil any uh, any surprises. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. We're working on it. And if you want to come on Gig Gab, let us know. Giggabpodcast.com. Uh, dot com. Uh, you can find us there. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com dot com is where you can email us or facebook dot com slash giggabpodcast. Of course, that's uh, that has se- that really has become our home. It seems, and that's that's actually all right by me. So, all right by me. Yeah, man. All right. Well. I hope uh, wherever your travels lead you that you are having and will continue to have a good time. And uh, folks, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for everything. And we'll see you in a week. We'll pick it up. Yeah, man. 